Welcome back to another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. I'm here in York, Pennsylvania with Keyshawn Washington, and you're a teacher here at this school, uh, Tidings of Peace. We're in one of the classrooms right here. Can you just introduce yourself? Uh, describe a little bit of your, your past and just how you got involved with the school and what's your role here? Yeah, so I came into Tidings of Peace through our Bible school program. Um, oh, okay. Our kids club, as people call it. I like to call it Bible school because um, I'd like if they would learn something. And mm. um, clubs, you don't have to learn, you just have to party. Mm-hmm. So um, I came in when I was nine years old, and I got invited by a man named Jonathan Allgaier, and he knocked on my door. And when he came to my door, he was a white man in a neighborhood where white people didn't belong. Mm. And um, so when he, when he came to my door, I opened it up and immediately shut the door on him. I'm like, I don't want anything to do with you. And wow. as he didn't even say anything to no, him, just shut the door. Nothing. Wow. I, I grew up in a culture where white people were dangerous, and mm. I was mm-hmm. taught to stay away from them. Ironically, my mom's white, um, and I grew up with her, but mm-hmm. she's probably the only, only white person in the neighborhood within a few blocks. And wow. so he was dangerous to me. Um, but my dad, being wiser and older and knowing that you can't just slam a door on every white person that comes to the door, um, you need, he need, went and took care of it. So I went back to my video games, I'm, I'm having a good time. And he comes back in and says, they're going to church. And that word to me was a cuss word. Church was not a good thing to me. Wow. Um, I had gone to church a year or two before and it was a Baptist church in Red Lion. And They'd come in and bus a hundred kids from the city to Red Lion, and we'd have a big mega church style church um, where they would have you come in, be you know saved and baptized over and over again. So I've probably been saved a hundred times in my life. I realized my life wasn't getting any better, and so mm-hmm. I thought they were all hypocrites. And so I di- I believed there was a God because it made sense to me that there would be. Evolution mm-hmm. made no sense to me, and um, I thought that was a fairy tale, and so. I believed there was a God, I just could not stand him. I thought it was a white man's God. And, and so mm-hmm. I went home um, for several months despising and hating God as a nine-year-old, um, as mm-hmm. much as I could at that age. Um, and so when he invited me, I was completely opposed to it. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening is I went because dad made me. Um, at this time, mom and dad were on drugs. Um, mm-hmm. And so they had an addiction and getting me out of the home was advantageous. And I went and I got kicked out on purpose. I went in, I started yelling all kinds of cuss words, and I just got kicked out. But Jonathan never gave up on me. He, he kept making me come back. And he just, um, in my childhood, seemed to someone who kept pursuing me and never giving up on me, even though I deserved it. You know, we, we make rules at our kids' clubs about you can't disrespect the teacher, you can't do these things. But Jonathan had a clear calling from the Holy Spirit, it seemed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to go and pursue this kid. So eventually, more people started pouring into my life. Um, there were a lot of short-term missionaries that helped me throughout the years, but one man in particular that really stuck with me was um, Austin Shank, and he just really discipled me. He was my spiritual father, and he just brought me up to a point where I could sustain a faith and a relationship with Jesus. And um, from there, um, I interacted with the school, and I really wanted to go to the school. Really, really wanted to go to the school. For years, I begged my mom, begged my mom. And I was 16, and my mom and dad got in another fight, and they fought every day. You know, they're drug addicts. Money, 
money and drug addicts means fighting and bickering and potential danger. And so I'd walk home and every day I came in the door, there was a shouting match. Um, things were being thrown in the air. And my only escape was the Shanks or the Mennonites or the, the Christians in my life at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I, would, I was there all the time. They became my family. Um, I live there today. And I went to my mom and I said, I'm going to drop out if you don't let me go to Tidings of Peace. And she didn't really have a choice. She let me go. Hmm. And um, I graduated a year early. Um, I came and was able to transfer some credits. And I did the work to graduate early. And then I had a year in between where I walked around and tried to find things to do. Um, I was a principal aide and just, um, yeah, tried to find fulfilling things to do. I got a few jobs in the government with um, the parks and running batting cages over across the city and um, found out what it meant to work and be an adult um, by myself and moved in with the Shanks as well. And one of the things my mom was worried about in me going to a a church-run school, right? A Mm church-run private school. We're suspicious because we offer financial aid to everybody. Mm. Private schools don't do that. Private schools have stipulations. You have to be um, smart. You have to be normal. You can't have defects. You need to be a normal person and you need to fit in our culture. Whereas Mm. we try to provide a culture that that adapts to them and that makes it so that um, children in urban communities can can be served and loved. Mm-hmm. And so she was suspicious about a school that claimed that I could get a good education and um, basically go for free, um, mm-hmm. if you put it all in perspective, and still wind up as well off as I would in the public school system. Mm-hmm. So our promise was that if I go, I have to go to college. And so Faith Builders became my college. I went to Faith Builders for two years following that year in between. And um, I went for teacher apprenticing, and I came back, and I'm in my second year. So mm. that's cool. what I got into, yeah. yep, teaching. And I went into education with the desire. I, I didn't want to teach at first. Um, mm-hmm. I like to talk, but um, teaching to me is an art. And hmm. I'm a better, I told, my, I told one of my leaders at Faith Builders, I'm a better public speaker than I am a teacher. <laughs> and he said, well, if you're good, you'll do both. Um, every day you have a chance to do public speaking. And mm. I think that's what drove me to wanting to do it, is mm. I get to impact these 10 kids, these 10 students of mine. I get to impact their lives every morning until mm. um, 3 o'clock. And I give them all kinds of speeches. And I make yeah. it up on the spot. Yeah. And they love it. And it, it helps me to have passion. And the reason I got into education, especially in the city, is my heart for inner city youth. I've always mm. had a deep, ever since I became a Christian, I, I thought of the hundreds of people that I know that don't have what I have. Mm-hmm. And they, it's not about possessions or wealth or um, anything except for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it became very clear to me that Jesus is what everybody around me needed and yet nobody had. And mm. I look back at the dozens of people who have come in and out of our church over the years and you know, no matter what skin color, background, whatever, um, chose Jesus, but or chose Christianity, chose the church, mm-hmm. but walked away, and um, they're no longer walking to faith. And I've been asked, "What is it that kept you around?" And I mm-hmm. said, "Well, the reality is the Mennonites didn't keep me around. It was Jesus that kept me around, and um, because of our church's vibrancy and." 
the people in my church that loved Jesus, mm-hmm. I knew these were the people that I needed to be around. Mm-hmm. Jesus called me to York and he was going to keep me in York. And so th- that is why I do what I do. I want my students to eventually fall in love with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if they can do that, they don't even really need me. You know, I'll, I'll be mm-hmm. glad to help them. Mm-hmm. But if they can have Jesus, um, Satan can't throw things at them that they won't be able to um, overcome because Jesus is so much more powerful. Yeah. And, and so I'm a teacher because that's the, the most, um, that's how I can get the closest to these, these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, other, other than that, I can only contact them outside of school and that limits me. But if I can be their teacher and I can be someone who can help guide them to Jesus every day, mm-hmm. um, it's a golden opportunity. Um, yeah. It's the best job in the world. So. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It sounds mm-hmm. like you're pretty passionate about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you've been teaching, you said teaching here two years, correct? Yeah, this is technically my third year on staff, okay. but um, second year teaching in yeah. a homeroom. What grades? Uh, fifth to seventh grade this year. I was going to have sixth and seven. But we had a few fifth graders. Um, we had a new teacher come in, mm-hmm. and she had 11 students, and I had nine. And they're like, well, wait a second. Um, <laughs> you're you're ex- more experienced. You should have this student. So my first year, I only started with six, and that came to eight. And this time, I went from 11 to 10. So I yeah. have a 10 students in my room. And we actually have, we're getting a new building, um, mm-hmm. which I'm sure Clayton talked about that. But we're, we're getting a new building, and um, my students are the most excited about it. Because hmm. we, have ch- we have class in a, our church fellowship hall. And mm. we have to, so before I came here, I had to put my classroom away. And I put the desk up and I put them on the wall, cleared out the room for Bible school to happen tonight. Which Bible wow. school is the ministry that brought me to Jesus. So yeah, my students have to put up with that every, every Thursday. And then Friday again, we pull them down again. And before we leave for the weekend, we have to put them up for church. And... Wow. So we're really excited about what God's doing in our ministry um, through this new building because we're able to um, provide these students with an environment that is so much more different mm-hmm. than, than what they've experienced. And my students, they're in that fun. They're not quite young adults yet. Like they're still kid-like, mm-hmm. but they're also mm-hmm. not little kids. And so they're super excited about it. And they, mm-hmm. they just can't believe. And they ask me all the time, like, how in the world are we going to go from this building to that building. And I said, it's Jesus. It's, it's, <laughs> can you think of any other explanation other than we serve a God that really wants us to have this building? Yeah. And they're like, no. And I think that they can carry that to life. Mm-hmm. They can carry the rest of their life saying, there is no way that there can't be a God because mm-hmm. God did this for us when we went to school at Tidings of Peace. Mm-hmm. And if our classroom can be filled with the Spirit and filled with Jesus just working in their lives every day, mm-hmm. there will never be a question of if there is a God. The, the next question, and typically the hardest question, is will I follow Him? Yeah. And of course that's more difficult than saying is there or is there not a God? Mm-hmm. One is common sense, and then one is a heart commitment, a surrender, mm-hmm. that there is a force doing everything He can to make sure you, you don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Satan does as much work trying to convince us that God does not exist. I think Satan is in the business of trying to convince us, trying to steer us away from him and not re- have a relation with him. Because mm-hmm. once I have Jesus, then I'm empowered. Jesus is going to change my life. But if I just know of him, then I, I don't really have anything more than the demons. I don't have anything more yeah. than the evil forces. And so I... 
I every day want to instill in my students' lives that Satan is your enemy. He's out to destroy you. And in order to be free from that bondage, that sin, that generational sin that they likely go home to, mm-hmm. um, you need to cling to Jesus. And um, I think that that building, more than a resource, more than a uh, an awesome place for us to teach and play basketball and uh, other carnal things that are awesome but not that important, mm-hmm. is a testimony of that building came from God. Mm-hmm. And if they can see that, it can mm-hmm. change their life. Yeah. Really can. What would you say is the most rewarding part of what you do? Uh, clearly, you enjoy what you're doing, which is really yeah. awesome. But what would you say is the most rewarding part? You know, I think because of the great range that I teach, you know, they come in as children. A 10-year-old is a 9-year-old is a child, you know, fifth grade, and they leave seventh graders um, after two or three years of, having, of me having them or them having me, whichever one mm-hmm. you want to call it. I get to see them go from childhood to young adulthood. I tell my students, when you leave my classroom, you are a young adult. Mm -hmm. Um, And until then, you can make mistakes that you can't make upstairs. Upstairs is secondary. So you make mistakes here that I forgive that Mr. Burkholder will not, right? Mm -hmm. You're not a young adult yet, but you will be. Um, And so it's like a a process that I can see them grow from um, probably... Um, innocence in some ways. Mm-hmm. Now, and living in the city, you're not innocent very long. Mm-hmm. But a level of innocence to, I've got to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And I get to be there in those years to plant those seeds. Now, I'm not, not likely to have altar calls in my classroom. I'm not likely to mm-hmm. see a crying confession of faith in my room. But I, I can have trust that the things that I'm saying, the things that I am teaching them are leading them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I really, really hope that when they leave my room, they're closer or I've chosen to follow him. Mm-hmm. But that's the most fulfilling part of my work mm-hmm. is I get to see them closer to commitment than when they came. Mm-hmm. And really teaching for me, whether it's math or English or science, social studies, which is my favorite, by the way, I love teaching history. Because I think it shapes them the most. They get to see mm-hmm. themselves in history, whereas math is just, that's uh, math. Um, my, room, my, my room hates math, and I, I agree with them. So using those to point to a God that has brought all this order and has taught us all these things, has given us language, has given us math. Some of them get tired of how much I talk about Jesus. But to me, that's really the only... The, the, the primary motivation for education for me mm-hmm. is, do you see how awesome God is? Can you see, huh. you just solved that math and you thought you could never do it. Mm-hmm. And, and you may just say, well, I'm just learning it. I'm just, you know, I just got better at it. Or you're just a good teacher. I'm like, look, I know myself and I can't do math. But somehow sitting here suffering through this, we figured it out. And I think that there is a greater, a greater power in us um, working over us that loves us and wants relationship with us that wants you to succeed. And so I, those conversations happen before every test. They happen during the hard times. And I'm a teacher who loves hard moments, things mm-hmm. I can't figure out. Because mm-hmm. then I can say, oh boy, well, we better pray about it. We better, we better think this through. Mm-hmm. And students who don't believe in God can see God work. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just incredible. And as much as I know he's going to work, as much as I know 
God will work here, I'm still shocked. I'm still surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, we're at the end of our quarter, and there are students who are finishing with honor roll that I was prepared to give parents phone calls like, wow. we got to figure something out because this is not working. Mm-hmm. And I was doing report cards today, and I'm like, this is incredible. They have honor roll. It almost like it, something was wrong. I had to see <laughs> if the names were switched. And I'm, I'm just amazed myself. If I can be amazed as someone who, um, who's been a Christian for a while, then, then how are they going to be impacted by the mm-hmm. awe and the power of God? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's our ultimate goal. Um, our, our vision is giving hope for a brighter future mm-hmm. through Christian education. And that hope without saying is obviously Jesus. And um, they don't recognize it at first, but that, that is what is shaping them. Mm-hmm. They don't even know it yet. Um, and I hope that one day they see it, yeah. that it's not just we provide you good snacks, we give you good programs, we give you work to torture you with eight hours a day, and then you go home. Um, mm-hmm. we, we really are uh, seeing something greater at work here. Yeah, you're building a worldview for them that has God in it, mm-hmm. you know, a respect yeah. for the divine. Definitely. That's pretty awesome. And it's, it's missing in everybody, all their friends. So mm-hmm. we have a bunch of guys over there right now in the guy's house. Um, they're probably waiting for me, wanting me to feed them. And they, the ones in our school can, can have that impact. And you notice the change in their behavior. But there are some that, that are not there, that, don't, mm-hmm. that have not been exposed um, near as much to one of the guys calls it God talk. You know, we do a lot of God, God talk in school. I'm like, you're right, we do. And you can see the worldview changing them, even at a young age, wow. just in their preteens, early teens. They're, they are being shaped. And if it's not for um, Satan doing everything to rip them away, there, there's so much potential in them mm-hmm. that, can, that can flourish and do way more than we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't want to make them little Keyshawns or little Claytons or little Austins, little Reagans. Mm-hmm. We want God to empower them to do things better than we could do. We want mm-hmm. them to be little Christ, and there are no limits to that. Jesus has called people to do things far greater than what I'm doing in this school. Mm-hmm. And so I tell my students, if you can be greater than me, then don't go do it. Mm-hmm. But it won't happen without Jesus. But if you can, if you can get him and you can love him, he, he may take you to do amazing things. We learn about, so our theme this year is Becoming Remarkable Christians. We're covering stories of um, Christians who have, we would call them remarkable, worthy of talking about have done amazing things because God has empowered them to do so. We talk about Bruce Olsen and um, Nikki Cruz and John Ramirez and all these people who have done amazing things through Jesus. And, and we tell them, we have the audacity to stand in chapel and say, Jesus could do even more through you. Jesus mm-hmm. could do greater things through you than Nikki Cruz, than Nick Wojcik, and than all these great people who we think are awesome. Jesus could actually do even greater things through you. They don't believe us yet, but I hope, I hope that one day they can prove it right. They yeah. can prove that that's actually true. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We'd love to hear from our audience.
experience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast, or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives.